Welcome to MTSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Logue, and we're coming to you from the campus of Middle Tennessee State University in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. We are so far removed from the era of slavery, we sometimes forget how much slaves contributed to the economy and the infrastructure of this nation. Slaves, in large part, built this country with no compensation and under barbaric treatment. Jessica Roseberry, a doctoral student from Nashville majoring in public history, has conducted research into the importance of slaves, which she has included in a paper titled Wealth Increase and Slaves as Money in Rutherford County, Tennessee. We'll dig into that topic after this. Here are some of the headlines making news at mtsunews.com, the university's news and information website. Tennessee's exports fell by more than $500 million for the third quarter compared to the same period last year. That's a 6.6% loss, according to the latest Global Commerce Trade Report from MTSU's Business and Economic Research Center. Author Stephen Livingston, the center's associate director, said the state was ranked 37th among all 50 states in export performance. And more than two dozen outstanding high school chemistry students from across the region participated in the recent MTSU Department of Chemistry Scholarship Tournament. Held in the Science Building, the competition recognized nearly 30 outstanding chemistry students from Rutherford and surrounding counties while giving them an up-close look to consider MTSU as their college choice. Participants included seniors who had completed a year of chemistry and qualified juniors. Incentives included special awards, such as scholarships to attend MTSU, and cash to the top three senior finishers and top junior from the approximately 90-minute exam. For MTSU News at any time, go to mtsunews.com. Jessica, welcome. Thanks for being with us. Thank you, Jen. I appreciate being here. You make the point that not only did slaves in Rutherford County provide forced unpaid labor for various purposes, but the actual sale and rent of slaves in and of itself constituted an economic benefit. How so? Slaves contributed to so much infrastructure in Rutherford County, building roads, building turnpikes, building railroads as time went on in Rutherford County. And not only that, but they became equivalent to money itself. So a person in Rutherford County and beyond, this is all across the South, could purchase rent a slave for a short amount of time, maybe a year, maybe a day, uh, just um, for small amounts of time. And all of these things together made slavery a market in Rutherford County. It made it a foundational market for the economic in for the economic increase and wealth of Rutherford County slaveholders. The system was really set up to benefit those people who own slaves in Rutherford County. So what would, if I may be crass, make Horace worth more than Robert on the market? <laughs> was it sheer physical brawn? Um, from my understanding, um, t- as time increased, as time went by, those prices increased. Um, things like age and ability to work in certain um, 
capacities would make slaves worth more money. So yes, brawn is a part of that and ability and things that slaves had done before. Um, sometimes women were looked at in terms of how well they could uh, bring children into the world and increase the number of slaves that would work on a plantation or a farm. So there were there were lots of different considerations about how much a slave uh, would be worth and purchased for. From what I read in your paper, it wasn't just the wealthy landowners who had the money to purchase slaves, but other whites who were less economically well off who benefited from the sale and the rent of slaves. How did this help their upward mobility? People who didn't own um, plantations, and a plantation we're considering, historians have, have mentioned that plantations are the ownership of about 20 or more slaves, but there were quite a few people who didn't own this many slaves, and those people would rent as I mentioned before, would rent slaves, would use them for various tasks, domestic tasks. And so this not only increased their ability to move forward, but it also increased their status because having a slave on your property increased your level of uh, status within the community. So all of these things played into both the uh, upwardly mobile group of slave owners and the people who didn't own slaves to begin with. They continued to move forward as well. So you could be perceived as part of the elite if you rented slaves, even though you were striving to become one of the elite, but just weren't quite there yet. That's correct. And over time, those people, uh, people in Rutherford County grew. It grew from um, a more frontier area into a, a farming community based out of Murfreesboro, which served this um, this farming community. And because of that, the number of enslaved people and the number of people who were able to own plantations and slaves increased dramatically over time. That That became a very significant part of what Rutherford County was built upon. We'll take a break here. We'll be back in just a moment. This is MTSU on the record. Tennessee's farm families contribute to our state's economy, nutrition, and culture. The Tennessee Century Farms Program at MTSU's Center for Historic Preservation acknowledges farms that have been in the same family at least 100 years. To date, the program has certified more than 1,500 farms. There's no cost to nominate a farm or be part of the program. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. The American Democracy Project is a nonprofit initiative which strives for greater voter registration and civic participation among young people at MTSU and at campuses nationwide. Through encouragement from professors and peers, young adults are shown the value of being more active citizens in their community, their state, and their nation. ADP seeks to nurture programs that raise the campus community's level of engagement with society. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. Our guest is Jessica Roseberry. She's a doctoral student majoring in public history, and she has written a paper about 
slaves and how they constituted uh, monetary value and uh, helped contribute to the uh, building of Rutherford County, Tennessee. Talk about the use of the word hands to describe the slaves. I found that to be very interesting, both as a euphemism and as a metaphor, uh, interchangeably with slaves and as extensions of their own bodies, the slave masters. I, I did not um, originate this concept. I read it in another um, work. Once I began to notice it, it was everywhere that people were talking about, slave owners were talking about their hands. So they called slaves their hands. They also talked about other aspects of their world as their hands. So they would put their hand and seal on something. They would stretch out their hand to do something. And all of these things contributed to a sense when you look back at this 19th century century antebellum society, that it's very much a sense of we have this ownership. All we need to do is stretch out our hands to something and it will be so. Really, literally, those hands are the enslaved people who are using their physical, actual hands to build railroads, to build turnpikes, to carry water, to uh, work on plantations. Those are the actual hands but in the, the language of the slaveholder, it's their hands. It's their work that's being done in the world. And, and they are uh, setting forth this change upon the landscape that's actually happening at the expense of other people and other people's labor. So that the white slave owners could use their physical hands for more delicate things like clinking glasses and <laughs> writing papers and things Absolutely. of that nature. That's right. Whatever happened to the Nashville, Murfreesboro, and Shelbyville Turnpike? I live in Shelbyville. <laughs> I grew up in Shelbyville, and I never heard of this uh, thoroughfare. Well, I think it still exists. I'm not 100% certain what it is now, but it might be um, Murfreesboro Pike. Um, so it's going to go from Nashville to Murfreesboro to Shelby, um, Shelbyville. There were quite a few turnpikes that connected county seats, and this was one of those that opened up the economic opportunities for slaveholders in in Rutherford County. And slaves worked on it? Absolutely, they did. Slaveholders uh, invested in these companies that would help them build these thoroughfares that connected counties, county seat to county seat. And that opened up farmland so that people could trade, they could take their wagons and stagecoaches across um, these rural areas. So instead of going on rough trails, they could go on turnpikes. And slaves absolutely were a part of that. They were owned and rented in order to build these thoroughfares. And then uh, their labor worked the land to grow tobacco and to grow cotton and all of the things that would be sent to market. You quote a guy named John Spence yes. as saying in 1841 that Negro property was valued at high rates, people having a great desire to own them. They would sell for money when other things failed. That's a striking comment in light of the importance of tobacco, cotton, and other crops. Were the slaves actually more valuable monetarily than the crops they picked? 
Absolutely. Um, so the crops would be sent to market. So they might be sent to the Murfreesboro market and then on to Nashville, um, especially in the advent of railroad days, which would be about the late 1840s and then on in through the 1860s before the Civil War. Cotton was incredibly important and was an incredibly inc- important economic aspect in, in Rutherford County. But the slaves, because they were used to pick that cotton, because they were used to, as money, to to pay for things, to be rented, in, in all of these economic um, exchanges were considered very important wealth uh, signifiers. So they were used as property, they were used as assets, they were considered to be all of those things by slaveholders and by slave owners. And it got to the point that in the 1850s, there became what was called Negro fever across the South, in which people would go to banks and take out mortgages in order to own slaves, in order they would purchase slaves with credit. There was an incredible line of credit that extended to New York banks um, that kept New York banks going because of the cotton industry here in the South, so that it's this national scene uh, built on the foundation of owning slaves, of using slaves, of renting and trading and purchasing and buying and, and sending them down to your children because they were so economically valuable. All of those things were part of this foundational economic structure built on slavery. So Northerners have no right to look down their noses <laughs> at Southerners when it comes to perpetuating the slave trade. Well, that's true. And I should also say, um, you know, I have no moral um, high ground here either. My own family, um, from both sides of my family, own slaves. And so when I talk about this, I don't want to talk about it in terms of you know, pointing a finger that is not pointed at me. Um, I think it's important to look at these things. I think it's important to look at them in in the eye, but also to recognize that this is a this was so foundational to who we are as a people, and that the global slave trade was so important for so long. Um, it, it just became an infrastructure in and of itself. Even though I'm looking at Rutherford County, which is a very small geographical area, and I'm looking from 1810 to 1860, which is a very short span of time, all of those, they are a case study to this larger picture, this larger, bigger, significant picture across the United States. And you're right, the North was implicated in that as well. And the county is a bit of a microcosm That's in, right. in in that there are other case studies that could be done with other southern counties absolutely. that would mirror Rutherford's situation in various ways. That's right. Absolutely. We'll be back in just a moment. This is MTSU on the record. The Concrete Industry Management Program at MTSU fills the need for trained personnel who know concrete technology and techniques. Our alumni go into the marketplace grounded in basic math and science and able to promote products or services related to the industry. Our participation in the academic common market ensures talented students in other states a chance to enroll on an in-state tuition basis. This is Dr. Heather Brown, director of the program. To find out more information on this or other university programs, visit mtsunews.com. 
The Experiential Learning Scholars Program at MTSU gives students a chance to go outside the classroom and obtain hands-on experience in their chosen fields of study. They'll have the opportunity to give something back to the community through service learning as they gain acceptance for graduate study. Students should be able to select EXL-designated courses from major requirements and general studies requirements to complete the 16 to 18 hours of EXL coursework. For all of the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. The paper is titled Wealth Increase and Slaves as Money in Rutherford County, Tennessee, written by Jessica Roseberry, a doctoral student from Nashville majoring in public history. How did the railroads augment the slave economy? Well, the railroads were very exciting to the United States. Uh, Transportation became a way that cities could link across the United States from marketplace to marketplace. So, for example, Nashville to St. Louis to New Orleans, all of these places that had become market cities could link together and take goods across the United States. Before that, we had been relying on stagecoaches and wagons. And um, as I mentioned, turnpikes were an important way to get from place to place. But the railroads were really significant because you could do that faster. You could do things in a much larger scale. So Rutherford County is not alone in being very excited about the railroads. The railroads were marketed to Rutherford County as this will increase your farm, the value of your farm. You will be able to make money because you'll send your goods now to uh, various markets across the United States. And that was very exciting to them. The Nashville and Chattanooga Railroad suffered a bad winter in 1851 and it couldn't obtain enough slaves and it couldn't make up the difference with white people. So why couldn't it hire enough white people? Were white people already at full employment or what? That particular story that you're talking about shows up in the annals, in the records of the railroad. And so each year the railroad engineer kept a log of what he was doing, and he sent it to the stockholders. Many of those stockholders were from Murfreesboro and Rutherford County. It doesn't say why white people were not able to work in the railroads. We do know from that statement that both white and black people were working together on building the railroads. African Americans were doing a significant amount of work. They were doing the hard labor. And as we look further into what the railroads were doing, they were treating the African-Americans more severely than the white labor. The railroads themselves owned African-American slaves, they owned slaves, and they rented slaves from these white workers. At one point, the slaves owned by this man named James Moore King Mm -hmm. made up half of his estate. Is this one reason why the the South became so poverty-stricken after the war, not just the physical devastation caused by the battle or the investment in Confederate bonds, which weren't worth anything after the war was (laughs) over, but they put so much investment in slaves as opposed to their own infrastructure or crops or institutions that would stand the test of time? Relying so significantly on enslavement makes recovery in the South so difficult. Um, We look after the Civil War and see that many of 
those properties were gone um, and much of that wealth was gone because, as you say, so much of it was invested in a property that no longer then existed. Why did Benjamin Rucker write such detailed histories of his slaves and the important events in their lives? His father owned a sawmill and kept a logbook. He kept up that logbook after he took over his father's business. He kept quite a bit of detailed records on his enslaved people based on their mothers. And so he would write, for example, we don't know when Minda is born, but here's when her children were born. And he would list out her children. And Minda had, we know from these records, she had seven children in 12 years, and several of those children were born very close together. Each of those enslaved people are listed in that way. There's no attention paid to the fathers of these children. So we don't know exactly why Benjamin Rucker paid attention in this way, but we do know that it's important for him to have more enslaved people. And being born to an enslaved mother is very profitable to Mr. Rucker. He keeps careful track of that because here's a a very natural way for him to increase his wealth. There are a good many African Americans in Rutherford County named Rucker. Absolutely. And uh, it it causes me to wonder if they were the descendants of uh, Benjamin Rucker's slaves or perhaps even the descendants of Benjamin Rucker himself, depending upon Mr. Rucker's sexual proclivities. That's right. That's right. It does make you want to investigate further because where we are today so influenced by that particular time, built on that particular time. And it makes such a difference to why Rutherford County is the way it is today and why the United States is the way it is today as well. What kind of sources did you find most helpful in your research? I used census records to begin with to look at plantation ownership across time in Rutherford County. And then I went to the Tennessee State Library and Archives and looked into uh, family records, for example, the Ruckers that you discussed. So I, I knew names of plantation owners, of slave owners, and I began to see where they had kept their papers in the Rutherford County Archives here at Middle Tennessee State University and the Albert Gore Research Center. And so all of these papers, if you begin to scratch the surface of them just a little bit, you'll see slave rental papers, slave ownership. You'll see when uh, people we're being taxed on owning slaves. You just you begin to see these these pictures across these archival collections. It's just there to be found. Or I used also um, Mr. John Spence, who is uh, a writer at that time. He lived uh, about that about that era. Uh, was born in Rutherford County and began to write about the history of Rutherford County and his writings are so revealing about what Rutherford County was experiencing and also about enslavement as well. He just makes these references, continual references to, as you talked about, 
uh, to Negro property and to how much they were worth and how much that was changing over time. And all of those things put together become this very compelling picture, I think, of what Rutherford County was thinking of in these 50 years before the Civil War. This is a paper written in pursuit of your PhD. I take it this is not your dissertation. That's correct. So I took a class with Dr. Martha Nor Kunis, public history seminar class. And I'm in the public history program. Public history is the, the preservation and the presentation of history to a larger public audience. I did this research about plantation slavery as part of Dr. Norkunis's class. And as a result of that research, got a grant, a bit of money with the Strickland Foundation, who works with the history department. Uh, to fund um, various aspects of historical research. Got a grant to do this continuing work about kind of following the money, as mm -hmm. we've been talking about. That, that became an additional project that I worked on. This is my first year of the PhD program, and I had a thesis, a dissertation topic in mind as I came into the program. But as I've, I've begun to dig into this historical research, there's so much, as I mentioned before, there's so much there. There's so much that's foundational to our own history that tells us how we came to be as we are, that it's possible that could be a dissertation topic for me. That's not something that I had ever envisioned, but because, again, it's, it's so real and it's so, um, so much a part of our historical foundation, it seems like something that I could go further with to try to understand more. Well, it's a, a very revealing look, not only uh, at uh, the Civil War era and the pre-Civil War era, but it's uh, also uh, important to note that uh, you did it in your own backyard, so to speak. <laughs> and when people think of history, sometimes they think of it on a grand scale, a national or a global scale. They don't think that what happened in their own region constitutes history, or they're not interested in exploring it. But it's all important, and it's all part of the record. That's right. And we're sitting here in Rutherford County, right? So we're sitting here in the very place that we've been talking about. It makes it very real to think about the places that I grew up. I grew up in Nashville, and now attend Middle Tennessee State University in Rutherford County, that all of these places have such, such historical resonance to drive down the street and see street names that are named after slave owners and to recognize why their wealth grew and to, and to again, as I said before, recognize that in my own family history. It's not separated from us. It's not separated from me, but it's our own history. Jessica Roseberry, thank you so much for being our guest on MTSU on the Record. Thank you. It's been a pleasure, Jenna. I appreciate it. We'll be right back. Expanding Your Horizons is an annual hands-on science and math conference at MTSU for middle and high school girls. EYH enables girls to investigate careers in science and math and to talk with female leaders in those fields that are so essential to our nation's future. EYH also provides the girls with fun hands-on activities and allows them to meet girls with similar interests. I'm Dr. Judith Iriarte-Gross, EYH Director. For more information, visit mtsunews.com.
The Tennessee Civil War National Heritage Area is managed by MTSU's Center for Historic Preservation. A partnership unit of the National Park Service, the Heritage Area tells the whole story of America's greatest challenge, offering assistance with Civil War and Reconstruction Era programs. Our projects include historic driving tours, museum exhibits, and nominations to the National Register of Historic Places. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. Gina Fan has the middle moment. Dr. Bell Whelan, president and CEO of the Southern Association of Colleges and Schools Commission on Colleges, had plenty of functional and funny advice for MTSU's newest graduates at our fall 2019 commencement ceremonies. Along with urging respect for all their future colleagues regardless of title and an openness to lifelong learning, Dr. Whelan said giving of one's time and talents is equal to any dollar amount of help. And of course, on those early mornings after those long nights of overtime, There will be days you will wake up and go, oh, no, I cannot face this another day. When you look in the mirror, you say, yes, I can do this. I have proven it because I've gotten through Middle Tennessee State University, and there is nothing, nothing and nobody that's going to keep me back. It may slow me down, but it is not going to stop me from reaching my goal. Each of you has proven that you've got what it takes to get ahead, or you would not have succeeded to be at today's ceremony. I wish you the best as you leave the shelter of this university, going out into the hard, cruel world. And I need you to know that old farts like me are depending upon you to make this a better place. That's MTSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Logue. Thanks for listening. MTSU on the Record, a news and information program about Middle Tennessee State University is produced by the university's Marketing and Communications Office, which is solely responsible for its content. Read more about MTSU at our website, mtsunews.com. Podcasts of this program are available at mtsunews.com and on iTunes.